And Peter, a servant, literally slave and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, I want to ask that as your word goes forth, you will send your Holy Spirit so that the truths we hear will be understood and penetrate our minds. But then I want to ask that they will seep down into our hearts so that we love them and embrace them. And then I want to ask that our wills will be affected so that we will live according to these truths. And we ask these things with great confidence and boldness because we ask them in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Letters today usually begin with a simple introduction, dear so-and-so, and then they also usually have a simple ending like sincerely or love Wayne. At least that's how I end my letters, <laughs> depending on whether I'm writing a letter to my insurance agent or my wife. Now, in the first century, they would begin their letter with the name of the author, and we've seen that. This is written by Simeon Peter. And then it's followed by a brief description of who they are. And last week we saw that Peter describes himself as a slave, but he also describes himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. There were only 12 apostles with the addition of Paul. There are no apostles today. In order to qualify as an apostle, you had to meet at least three criteria. And these are found in Acts chapter 1. Um, after Judas hung himself because he betrayed Christ, they knew that they had to replace them so that the 11 could become 12 again. And we read in Acts 1.21, So some of the men who have been accompanying us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness of the resurrection. So there's the first two criteria. You had to be a part of the ministry from John the Baptist all the way to the ascension of Christ. And right at the heart of that, you had to be a witness of the resurrection. And then they continue on in verse 23. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsarbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen. So the third criteria is that you had to be personally chosen by Jesus Christ to be an apostle. And now that's taking place here. And verse 26 says, And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Now, as I said, Paul was a unique case. He only met the last qualification. Jesus personally appeared to him on the road uh, to Damascus and called him to be 
an apostle. Otherwise, you had to meet at least these three criteria. Now, why is Peter mentioning that, that he's an apostle? Is it his way of saying, I want you to know I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> I'm an apostle. You're just a disciple. The reason why he's letting his readers know that he's an apostle is because this letter contains the authority of Christ behind it. That's why he's mentioning that. This letter is inspired by God himself, and in a few weeks we will get to that doctrine at the end of this chapter. But he's letting them know that he's an apostle because they need to pay attention what he is writing to them. Now, you may have noticed, if you've been attending a while, and I did it this morning, that before the reading of Scripture... I said this morning what I say every week. Before I read the passage, I say, this is God's inspired and errant authoritative word. Why do I say that? I say that because you need to be reminded, and I also need to be reminded that what we are about to hear is not just another book of religion. This book was actually inspired by God. It came from his mouth. Literally, it's God-breathed. Therefore, it's inerrant. It doesn't have any errors in it. It's infallible. And because of that, it's authoritative. So when God speaks, we have to listen. And then after we've listened to that, I say, this is the word of the Lord. And you all say? And we say that because what a blessing we have in God's word. Think of how lost we would be. Love how the psalmist says, Thy word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. And, and some of you know how lost you were until God's word came and gave you direction and helped you to see where you needed to go. So we are blessed to, to have this book. And, and Peter is giving these believers inspired, uh, God's inspired word. Now, after Peter uh, mentions himself and who he is, he will now talk about the recipients. And he doesn't just say, Dear John, this is not a Dear John letter. He's going to write to these recipients, and he's going to remind them of who they are. And this is what he says, continuing on in verse 1. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter's focus is on the fact that they have obtained the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And it's that righteousness that I want to focus on this morning. And if you're taking notes, I have three, three points I want us to consider this morning. The first is the gift of righteousness. The second is the pursuit of righteousness. And then the third is the fruit of righteousness. So let's talk about the gift of righteousness. Theologically speaking, this verse is talking about justification. There you go. One of those big theological terms, justification. What is justification? Justification is a legal declaration that takes place the moment you put your faith in Christ. So that now God looks at you, one, just as though you had never sinned, and number two, just as though you had perfectly obeyed the entire law of God. 
So you put your faith in Christ. God says you are justified. He now looks at you just like he looks at his son. I like 2 Corinthians 5.21 because it gives us a beautiful picture of how this justification takes place. And some have referred to this verse as describing the great exchange, or we could say the double exchange. Paul says, he who knew no sin, talking about Jesus, he who knew no sin became sin. That happened on the cross when he was hanging on the cross and God took your sin and my sin and put it on him. He who knew no sin became sin so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. And I I like to give you a little illustration this way. Some of you have seen this before. Every single one of you has a portfolio like this. It's a sin portfolio. And, And God has kept track of every sin that you have ever committed in your entire life. And because of that, you are unrighteous. And if you're unrighteous, you cannot stand in the presence of a holy God. And we are all unrighteous. In Romans 3.10, Paul says, none is righteous. And this is though when Paul says that, he's imagining someone in the back of the room saying, no one, because he goes out and he says, no. Not one, not a single one of us is righteous. There's not a single person in himself who can stand in the presence of a holy God. And then in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and following, Paul says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? We cannot enter God's presence. We will not enter the kingdom of God. And then he goes on and he says, Do not be deceived. And you know why he says do not be deceived? Because some people are. Some people think that in their unrighteousness they will stand in the presence of God. Maybe they think they'll stand in the presence of God because they're looking at their neighbor and saying, well, he's a lot worse than me, thinking God will grave on the curve when God doesn't. It doesn't matter if someone's more unrighteous than you. None of us are righteous. None of us can stand in the presence of God. None of us can enter into the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will enter the kingdom of God. Why why does Paul mention these sins? Why do I mention these sins? Because it's because of these sins that you will not enter into the presence of God. These sins keep us out of God's holy presence. So Paul, writing from a heart of love that's broken over those who are lost, saying, I want you to know if you're unrighteous, you can't enter the kingdom of God. But how wonderful that he goes on and he says, but praise be to God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. 
And I know some of you, you heard that list, I heard that list, and you thought, that's, that was me. But there was washing, there is forgiveness, there is cleansing through faith in Jesus Christ. Some of you are familiar with the atheist, illusionist, and comedian uh, Penn Gillette. This is what he had to say following a live performance when a man gave him a New Testament. He said, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not to tell them? Why do we stand in front of people when it's socially awkward to, to talk about some of these sins? I know it's awkward to talk about homosexuality in this culture, but why do we do it? Because we really do believe that there's a heaven to be gained and a hell to be shunned, and we really do believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. That's why we risk it, because we believe these truths, and we love people, and we want them to know that there is hope for anybody, anybody, if they will just turn to Jesus Christ. So have you turned to Christ? Are you clothed in his his righteousness because you repented of your sin and put your faith in Christ. It's a wonderful gift. Now notice what Peter says. He says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God, of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So here's a question I have for you. If you have this faith and righteousness in Christ, how did you obtain it? this is what I want you to see. You know how you obtained it? You obtained it the same way Matthias received his apostleship. The lot fell in your favor. You were chosen by lot. Let me just give you a little insight into how I was studying this passage. I'm, I'm going through it, and it says you obtained. And I asked myself, well, how have we obtained it? So I... I looked up this word, obtained, and it's a fascinating word. In Strong's Concordance, it's defined as to obtain by lot. That's what the word means, to obtain by lot. Let me give you two examples of where this word is found. The first is in Luke 1 with Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. He was a priest, and this is what we read in Luke 1, 8, 9. While he, talking about Zechariah, was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. How did he obtain this privilege of offering the incense? He was chosen by lot. And then another one that most of you will be familiar with, Jesus is is hanging on the cross, and they, they stripped him of his clothes, and they're wondering, well, who's going to get the clothes? And this is what we read in John 19, 23, and 24. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts. One part for each soldier also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, 
woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. So which soldier obtained the garment, the one whose lot fell in his possession? And of course, God determines how the lot falls. Proverbs sixteen thirty three: the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. If you have this faith, if you have this righteousness, you have obtained it because God's sovereign favor fell upon you. My more lengthy title uh, for this section is The Sovereign Gift of Righteousness. The lot fell in your, your favor. That's, that's the word that's used here. People say, when I, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have some questions for God. You know what I think? When I get to heaven, I'm going to have one question for God. Why me? Why did the lot fall in my favor why why was this wretched sinner blessed with faith and the righteousness of jesus christ that's the only question i have so the gift of righteousness now let's consider the pursuit of righteousness in first peter 2:24 we read speaking of jesus he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. Why did Jesus die? Not just so you could be justified, but also so you could be sanctified. There's another theological word for it. what does it mean to be sanctified? To become more and more like Jesus. Jesus died so you could be forgiven, but he also died so that you could live a righteous life. And that's why I wanted to add Matthew 5, 6 to our text this morning. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who are starving for righteousness. Those people will be satisfied. So do you, do you have that hunger? It's not a rhetorical question. Do you have that hunger? A couple weeks ago, we, uh, we attended a visitation for someone who uh, died in Michelle's extended family, and, and they were in town. And, and the visitation took place from 4 p.m. to, to 7 p.m. And because Michelle's family was in town, I figured we probably want to get together for dinner and I was asking her about that, and she said, well, I'm not really that hungry. And Zach was standing there, in case you don't know. Zach is a 16-year-old growing teenage boy who's also an athlete. <laughs> Zach, are you hungry? Yes. <laughs> he didn't say, that's a good question, Dad. Let me think about it for a moment. No hesitation, no pause. Yes, I'm hungry. Of course he's hungry. The visitation went right through dinner. He's probably starving, but he was being calm. Yes, I'm hungry. <laughs> As his stomach is turning within him. Now, here's my point. When I asked if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, if you even hesitated to answer that question, you're not. Because if you really are hungry for something, you don't have to give it a lot of thoughts. If you're hungry, you know, I'm hungry. Now, here's what I want to say. If you're not hungering and thirsting 
for righteousness, it's because of only one of two reasons. First of all, maybe you're not born again. You might be a moral person. You might be a churchgoer. You might have a generic belief in God, but you haven't been born again so that your heart's been changed. Many amazing things take place within a person when they're born again. One thing that takes place is Jeremiah 31 is fulfilled, and this is how it's described in Hebrews 8.10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is to have an appetite to obey the law of God. And you have an appetite to obey the law of God because now the Ten Commandments are not outside written on tablets of stone. Now the Ten Commandments are written on your heart and your mind. And you love the Ten Commandments. You don't see them as a burden. You see them as a joy. You love the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. You say, you love that commandment. You know, it's interesting. When I was converted to Christ, I was convicted of taking God's name in vain. And what's interesting about that was I wasn't even aware that I was doing that. But all of a sudden, I realized I've taken God's name in vain. I love that command. I hate it when people take God's name in vain or the name of his son in vain. Or how about the fourth commandment? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. I love that command. Yes, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. We shouldn't view that commandment as, oh, Sunday I have to go to church. It should be, it's, it's Sunday. I get to go to church. Yes, because God's commands are not burdensome. They're, they're a joy. I mean, which of the Ten Commandments would, would you not love as, as a Christian? They're all beautiful. They're all glorious. They're all... They're all for our good. Remember the attitude of the psalmist in Psalm 42 in our call to worship? As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for the living God. When? When can I go and meet with God? You love the fourth commandment. You love going to church, coming into the the presence of God. How could you not love that? Unless perhaps you don't, you don't have that law written on, written on your heart. There's another possibility if we don't have this, this hunger and thirst for righteousness. Maybe we're backslidden because we're pursuing other things in, instead of God. Uh, many of you are familiar with the story of Samson and Delilah. Uh, in Judges 16, 4 and following, we read, After this... And the after this is after one of uh, Samson's escapades with a prostitute. But after this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, said to her, seduce him and see where his great strength lies. And by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please, 
I'm trying to think of the voice that she probably used. <laughs> Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. And she did this day after day after day. And, and finally, she wore him down and said, The strength is in my hair. If my long hair were cut, I would become as weak as any other man. And then we read in verse 19, she made him sleep on her knees and she called a man and had had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he woke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. Samson turned away from the Lord. His strength was gone. He didn't even realize it. Now, just as you can spoil your physical appetite, you can also spoil your spiritual appetite because you feast on the junk food of this world like Samson. No hunger, no thirst for righteousness. He didn't even know that his strength was gone and God had left him. Now, when it comes to pursuing righteousness, we need to be deliberate. It's not going to happen all by itself. We need to be deliberate. 1 Timothy 4.8, Paul says to Timothy, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. If you're going to be godly, you need to discipline yourself. You need to train yourself. You will not just drift into godliness. I promise you, you need to be deliberate. Some of you are familiar with the hymn, Take Time to Be Holy. Anybody know that hymn? Take Time to Be Holy. This is how it goes. Just a couple stanzas. Take time to be holy. Speak oft with thy Lord. Abide in him always and feed on his word. Make friends of God's children. Help those who are weak. Forgetting in nothing his blessing to seek. Take time to be holy. The world rushes on. Spend much time in secret with Jesus alone. By looking to Jesus like him thou shalt be. Thy friends in thy conduct his likeness shall see. Here's what I want you to realize. This hour and a half right here this morning as we gather together for corporate worship is the most important hour and a half every single week. We are taking time to be holy. We're taking time to cleanse ourselves from our sins. We're taking time to listen to God speak to us in his word. We're taking time to encourage one another and build one another up towards love and good deeds. And we should realize that this pursuit for righteousness shouldn't be all by ourselves. So many Christians say, I, I can be a Christian without going to church. Well, maybe technically you can, but how can you pursue righteousness all by yourself? 
In 2 Timothy 2.22, Paul said to Timothy, Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. We are to pursue righteousness with our brothers and sisters in Christ so that we can encourage each other, so that we can say, I'm struggling. Will you pray for me? Yes, be more than happy to pray for you. This is something we are to do together as a body. So if I could give you just some simple instructions, come to church each day prepared. Get plenty of rest. Go to bed early Saturday night. I know things come up. Sometimes things come up for Michelle and I. Maybe there's a wedding and you're out late. But if you can, on a regular basis, make sure you get some good sleep. I remember years ago, there was a guy sitting right over there. Sorry to point to you guys, but that's where he used to sit. And I remember him kind of just slumped over one morning. He's like, oh, I'm really tired. And I'm like, oh, what were you doing last night? Playing video games till 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, oh. You're going to be lucky if you can stay away from the, for the sermon. I'm going to have to yell a little more to keep you awake. Get, get some sleep. Come prepared. Pray. Pray that God would, would speak to you and, and, and meet with you. And pray for your pastor. Look at this guy. He, he needs prayer. Pray for your pastor that that God would use him. Just say something like, Lord, I know you can speak through a donkey. You can speak through Pastor Wayne. Speak through Pastor Wayne. Come prepared. If you can come a little early, come early. If you can stay afterwards, stick around. Because we're trying to encourage each other. We're We're trying to do this together. So we don't have to pursue it by ourselves. So we can lock arm in arm as we're pursuing what God is calling us to do and obviously take time during the week as well. We could talk about that. But so there's the there's the sovereign gift of righteousness, and then there's the pursuit of righteousness, the passionate pursuit of righteousness, and then there's the fruit of righteousness. What did Jesus say? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be satisfied or filled depending on your translation and the picture of of this is sitting on the couch after you have finished the thanksgiving feast and you're like wow that was good you're you're satisfied and and we live in a world where people are not satisfied last week i quoted you to you from the american philosopher bob dylan If you allow me, I'd like to quote from the British philosopher Mick Jagger. I can't get no satisfaction. Oh, I try. Oh, I try. But I can't get no satisfaction. And you got to hand it to him. He was being honest. But he couldn't find satisfaction because he was looking for in sex, drugs, and rock and roll instead of righteousness. And Jesus says, if you look for in righteousness, I promise you, this is a promise, you will be satisfied. If you pursue this, if you're diligent about it, you will be satisfied. And notice, it's a beatitude. It begins with that word blessed. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. 
You know, sometimes we just we put this word blessed up here like it's one of these floating biblical terms. Let me just give you a simple definition. It's more than this, but it's certainly not less than this. To be blessed is to be happy. Jesus is saying, you want to be sad? You want to be happy? Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. If you do that, you will be happy. You know, there's, there's an interesting verse in Hebrews 1.9, and it's talking about God's Son. And it's, and it's a quote from a couple of verses in Isaiah 1. Uh, but this is what it says, speaking of Jesus, You have loved righteousness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Talking about the Son of God. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Because Jesus loved righteousness and, of course, hated wickedness. They go together. We're told that, therefore, as a result of that, what did God do? God anointed him with the oil of gladness. He drowned him in gladness, and we're told specifically, beyond his companions. Which means that when Jesus walked the face of this earth, he was the happiest person alive. Who's the happiest person in all the world? It's Jesus. Why? Why is Jesus so happy? Because he loved righteousness. And because he loved righteousness, God blessed him with happiness. I don't know about you, but I want that blessing. I want that anointing. And it, it comes to those who pursue righteousness. There's, there's another blessing that comes, power and prayer. We were talking about this verse at prayer meeting. I don't know if it was this time or last time. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Wasn't that something? Elijah cries out to God, stop the rain, judge these people. And God says, okay, three and a half years, no rain because of his prayer. And we were reminding one another that Elijah was just like us. That's why he was told that he was just like us. He prayed and God answered. And I want to say yes, but we do have to be careful because the previous verse says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And then we're told Elijah was a man just like us. So the prayer of a righteous man, a righteous woman, is powerful and effective. And there, I don't know about you, but there's another great encouragement to be righteous. God will listen to your prayers. That's why we want to get rid of sin. I know all about sin. You know all about sin. One of the, one of the guys in, in our church asked me a little while back, he says, you need to know... You seem to know a lot about sin. It's because you've seen so much sin come and go in the 25 years that you've been here as a minister. And I said, yeah, I've seen a lot in the years that I've been here, but I know a lot about sin because I don't have to look past my own nose. I know a lot about sin because I have a mirror. But I want to be righteous because I want my prayers to make a difference. 
And here's, here's what I know. And you know it too if you're sensitive. When you're in sin, you don't pray much. Because you know that your sins get in the way. Isaiah 59 says that your sins have made a separation between you and your God. But when you're, when you're confessing sin and then when you're pursuing righteousness and you're earnest and, and you pray, you even have a sense. God is listening. God is answering and, and, you, and you see it. And then you want to pray more and you want to be more righteous. And it's a, it's a wonderful effect. Let me give you just one more fruit of, of righteousness. Courage. Proverbs 28.1, the wicked flee, though no one pursues. Talk about paranoia. The wicked flee, though no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. The righteous are bold as a lion. Don't you want to be bold? Don't you want to be courageous, fearless? That last week, I was talking to you about Josh McDowell out of his book, The Resurrection Factor. And he said when he was a university student, he said, more than anything else, I wanted to be happy. And then he said, and also, I, I wanted to be free. I wanted to be free to do what I know I should do, not just sin. And, and if I were to add to that, if I'm just honest with you this morning, I want to be fearless. I do not want to live in fear. When I see what's going on in the news, I don't want to live in fear. I don't want to be, oh, no, what's going to happen? I don't want to worry about my finances. I, I, just, I do not want to live in fear. I want to have courage. And we're told that if we're, we're righteous, we will be bold. We, we won't be afraid. And I don't think you want to live in fear. Nobody likes to live in fear. If we pursue righteousness, one of the benefits that come, we can be bold as a lion. Sometimes I hear some of you talk, you know, you watch the news. And, oh, no, what, what's going to happen? I don't know what's going to happen. I think we may have some tough times ahead of us. Honestly, I, I think times may be tough for the church. So what should we do? Well, let's prepare ourselves. What should we do? We should do a lot of things. But one thing we should do is pursue righteousness so that regardless of what comes, we have the courage to stand. Because if we prepared in every other way imaginable for whatever crisis can come, if we don't have courage, we'll fold like a house of cards. So one thing we need is courage. So that when whatever storm or opposition comes against us, we can stand. I want to be able to stand. This is one of my fears. Maybe this is the fear we should have. My fear is that I won't stand. I pray all the time, Lord, let me stand. And one of the answers right here is by pursuing righteousness. It's a fruit that God gives. Satisfaction. Happiness. Courage. Power and prayer. It's a very simple command to pursue Righteousness, but it's, it's to be our calling. In Matthew six thirty three, Jesus said, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So if you want to know where to start by preparing for whatever would come, start by pursuing righteousness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for how it teaches us 
rebukes us, corrects us, and trains us in righteousness. I want to pray for this congregation that you would restore our souls and lead us in paths of righteousness. For your name's sake, amen.